Terry Met, virtual traveller, and welcome back to Stories from Law, a monthly podcast that explores folklore and the stories it inspires. My name is Dawn Nelson, and I am an author and professional storyteller. Today, I'm looking at the folklore of household hobs, and the story from law for this episode is the Hob of Hart Hall. There are many household spirits from many different cultures, with many names for them. Boggles, Boggarts, Brownies, Nissa, Tomt, Cough Goddess, Dobby, Hob, Hurst, Hobthrush, Bogey, Puck, Puckle, and I'm sure you have some of your own. But in this episode of Stories from Law, I'm going to concentrate on the folklore and the stories that surround the Hob. A Hob is a small mythological household spirit that hails from the north and the Midlands of England. It is especially prevalent on the Anglo-Scottish border, and it's clear to see that no wall built by any Roman emperor, yes, Hadrian, I'm looking at you, was keeping this little spirit in or out. They are said to be particularly fond of farm work, and thus could be very helpful. However, if offended, they could also become a nuisance and a malevolent force within the home. What makes Hobbes even more temperamental is that they are capricious and hard to please. It's not that difficult to offend these tiny beings. However, there are some pretty hard and fast rules for you to follow. The first is to always leave your hob and you'll know you have one as you'll find all the jobs done as if by magic. Always leave your hob the best of the butter and the best of the cream. And never, and I mean never, leave semi-skimmed or soured cream under any circumstances. The second rule is to never give a hob new clothes. To do this is enough to send a hob running for the hills, especially the wizened, wrinkled, long-bearded, naked kind, which is how they usually take their form. However, don't be lured into a false sense of security, that should you have a troublesome hob, you can rid yourself of it with a gift of a set of new clothes. Oh no, in fact, this could make it even worse. So to recap, there are two rules. Full fat milk or cream and no clothes. Hobbs are naturally mischievous spirits, but they will rarely cause harm if you stick to these rules. Hobbs are not necessarily tied to one place either. They are free to come and go as they please, but they will sometimes attach themselves to a particular family. And this is something I'll look a little bit further into in a little bit. But first I want to look at the origin of the name Hob. Why do we call them that? Hob was a common medieval shortening of the name Robert or Robin, and it became synonymous with country bumpkin. Someone who is considered to be a little slow or stupid or a peasant, perhaps. So one theory is that Hob is actually an insult for a dull-headed farmhand. But Hobbs are definitely not this. The first record of the name Hob being used for these particular creatures was in 1460, And the words hobgoblin and hobthrush were names used throughout the 1500s. The latter name, hobthrush, refers specifically to an outdoor living hob. And we'll discover a few of those later in the episode. This name may derive from the use of the phrase hob o thirst. This refers to a spirit that haunted woodland. So should you meet one of these outdoor hobs you should address them in a very particular way in order to prevent them from doing you any harm. And you do this by saying, Hob trust hob, where is thou 
as tired I'm a left foot shoe, and I'll be with thee new. Tying the old left shoe, eh, that old chestnut? Well, it works as a stalling technique, I suppose. The idea is presumably that the hob will get bored of waiting and then move on. I'm not sure. But it's interesting, the link between these small creatures and shoes. It reminds me of another story, which I'm sure it reminds you of as well, and that's the elves and the shoemaker. There are a few famous hobs in history, and it is these hobs that I would now like to take a look at. The most famous of all is the Farndell hob, and the story we're flitting came from this legend. The Farndell hob is a story of a hob that for doing its work was always left the best of the butter and the cream. Now it was the farmer that always left this out for the hob and he always oversaw this task to make sure it was done properly. However, one day he left it to his wife and his wife, well, she got to thinking that the hob didn't need the best of the butter and the cream and that it would much better serve the household. After all, her husband was out in the fields all that time working hard. Surely he too deserved the best of the butter and the cream. And so she left the hob what was not the best. And this little hob took great offence. And instead of doing all of the tasks around the house that he had been doing, he stopped doing all the work completely. But he didn't leave. He stayed and he became incredibly vengeful. He would wake up the children in the night. He'd tip up the milk when they were trying to milk the cows. And he'd make strange noises in the night. Eventually the family got fed up and they thought, well, we'll, we'll try and leave. We'll try and go to another house. That didn't really work either because as they were on their way along the road, the neighbour stopped them along the way and said, ah, is that flitting? And before the farmer had a chance to reply, a small voice from the back of the cart said, aye, we're flitting. Turned out the hob was in the cart with them. Well, the farmer turned around and said, well, if you're flitting with us, there's no point in us flitting at all. And they went all the way back to Farndale Farm. And it's said that that hob haunted the family for many, many years. So that's a famous story of a hob which mm, shows that you really shouldn't upset them. And actually, the Nyssa in Scandinavia, they use a similar phrase dag flyter. We're flitting, we're moving. And so it just shows this movement of the Scandinavian languages and northeastern dialects that they're quite similar sometimes. The Runswick Bay hob is the next one I'd like to talk to you about and this one's an outdoor hob. The Runswick Bay hob hole. If you visit this place, the Runswick Bay hob hole is reached via a long winding path down to the sea. And it's a hole that has been created by the waves and it's completely submerged at high tide. It's said that people a long time ago used to visit this cave, thinking that the hob within the cave could cure their children of various ills. One of these was whooping cough. The children were walked into the cave and a little poem chanted. Hob, hole, hob, my bairn's got a kink cough. Take it off, take it off. Now, whether this hob existed or not is, well, an interesting point in folklore. Because yet again, 
tied up in this little bit of folklore is smuggling. Because smugglers used to stash their contraband there. So was this a bit of law made up to stop people going into the cave that backfired badly because they discovered that this was a healing hob? Who knows? The next hob occupied Hobhurst Barrow in Derbyshire. This is a Bronze Age round barrow and it is definitely reminiscent of the elves and the shoemaker story. This little bit of folklore involves a hob that makes so many shoes that they get thrown out of a window. And it resulted in the phrase in the area, ah, that can make them faster than the hob thrust can throw shoes out of the window. And so this barrow is not known as a tomb, but as the home of a hob. As in the elves and the shoemaker story, the way this hob disappeared was by being given new clothes. In Humberside, the hob of East Hallerton has a hint of ogre about it. The hob lived in a cellar, and you could cause him to walk and rise up by stirring a pot of children's thumb bones. Rather gruesome. Another hob, called Blue Birches, takes the form of a shape-shifting hobgoblin. He plays harmless pranks in the homes of a shoemaker and his family in the Blackdown Hills in Somerset. There's that else in the shoemaker again. His usual form is that of an old man wearing baggy blue breeches, hence his name. But he also took the form of a white horse or a black pig or a wisp of blue smoke. The family, who were host to this hob, took his presence in good stride. But some clergymen learned of his existence and eventually he was exorcised from the house. The Robin Roundcap in Lincolnshire haunted Spaldington Hall in Spaldington. In Spaldington Hall in Spaldington, East Yorkshire, there was a hearth spirit, a true hobgoblin type, and he helped to thresh the corn and performed other domestic chores, but only when he was in the mood for it. The rest of the time he would mix the wheat with the chaff and kick over the milk pail and extinguish the fire. Not such a handy hob to have around, perhaps. Again, the clergymen were brought in, and it is said that this particular hob was confined to a well for a stipulated number of years through the prayers of these three clergymen. And this well is now known as Robin Roundcap's well. Another famous hob, in literature at least, is Park in Midsummer Night's Dream. And we can see this in this quote here from Shakespeare's famous play. You are that shrewd and knavish sprite called Robin Goodfellow. Are you not he that frights the maidens of the villagery skims milk and sometimes labours in the quern, and bootless makes the breathless housewife churn, and sometimes makes a drink to bear no harm, misleads night wanderers, laughing at their harm. Those that hobgoblin call you and sweet puck, you do their work and they shall have good luck. So you see, puck was definitely a hob of some sort. And this is again present in some of the place names that we have now in this country in the UK. Puckles Church, Puck's Yard, Puck's Stream. In the Norse, their name is Pukai. In the German, Puck. And in Ireland, Puka. These are demon dwarves, as well as hobs. So now, I'd like to tell you the story of the Hob of Hart Hall. And you can make up your own mind as to what you think these hobs are really up to. There is a place called Hart Hall, and at Hart Hall there is a farm. The farmer that works that farm has no need to employ many people. 
In fact, the only people that he does employ are a dairymaid to make sure the cows are brought in and milked if they need it, and a farmhand to make sure the wheat is cropped and put into the barn, and, well, to mend the odd fence or building that might need it. Now, you may ask, because there are a lot of other jobs that need doing, why is nobody else employed? Does he not need more staff? How does it all get done? Well, this is a very successful farm, so indeed, how does it get done? There's always grain to make plenty of flour, always cream and milk to make butter. And the pigs, well, the pigs are always very fat and well-fed. So what is happening? Well, there are many rumours in the village about this farm, but nobody dares say very much because the farmer is very rich. And, well, he could cause them a lot of trouble if he wanted to and if they chose to voice their thoughts. Because the whisper, the whisper is witchcraft. But the farmer, the farmer and his sons, well, they know who they have to thank for the success of that farm. And that's their farm, Hob. Each evening they leave him the best of the butter and the best of the cream from the milk. And the Hob, well, he comes into the barn and he'll take the wheat that is cut down but still in sheaves and he'll take each grain out and he'll pile it up neatly in the barn. He can do the whole barn in a night, which is very handy during the harvest. It's the work of 50 men that he can do in that night. And then he still has time left over to see to the cows and milk them. And, and if he does do this, he'll always get more milk from them than the dairymaid ever will. And then he might just have time to go and see the pigs, make sure none of their food is rotten or their hooves are ailing them. He's a very helpful little hob, and he's very happy in his work. The farmer has told his sons to make sure that they tell nobody else, for they will surely try to lure this little hob away from the farm so that he may help them prosper instead. They might have better butter or better cream to give him, or even porridge. This arrangement has gone on for many years. This year, the farmhand would like to marry the dairymaid, but he needs to get some money together so that he can buy a house for them and afford to have a wedding. And so he asks the farmer for extra work. He asks the sons first, and he says to them, all that wheat in the barn, surely I can help sort it this year. I, I need the work, and I'll work for much cheaper than whoever it is who's doing it for you. And the son, not thinking about it, he says, oh, no, no, no. We don't pay anybody to do that. Leave it to the hob. He does it. Before he realises it, he said it and it's out, it's done. The farmhand thinks, oh, so there is a hob here. That's interesting. And, well, maybe that hob would help me. Help me find more work, perhaps, or luck. And, well, then I'd have more money and I could marry the dairymaid. So... The next full moon, the farmhand decides that he's going to take a look in the barn and see if he can see this little hob. See if he can talk to it. See what he might be able to do in exchange for its help. So when the next full moon arrives, the farmhand goes and sits by the barn and looks through a little crack in the wooden slats of the barn wall. He looks in at the barn full of wheat from the harvest that day. As he's watching, he hears a creak. <coughs> and the barn door opens and in comes the little hob. He is indeed no bigger than about a foot high, and he is as old as the day is long. He has a wizened and wrinkled face and the longest beard you have ever seen. 
the hob takes up the wheat and starts to take the grain from it. And as he does this, he dances and sings. One grain, two grain, three grain, four, five grain, six grain, seven grain more. I'll do the chores while you sleep and dream, as long as you leave me the butter and the cream. <laughs> it's a jolly little song, and as he dances around the barn, pulling the grain out of the sheaves of wheat and piling the grain higher and higher, well, the farmhand is astounded. He watches as the hob dances and sings one grain, two grain, three grain, four, five grain, six grain, seven grain more. I'll do the chores while you sleep and dream, as long as you leave me the butter and the cream. He's amazed. He's watching this tiny little creature in his whirlwind of work hopping around the barn floor, and it's then that he notices that whilst the hob is covered in hair, this hairy little creature is completely naked. Well, the farmhand thinks no man should have to work that hard and be naked. Oh, no. So this is what I can do for the hob, he thinks. I can make him some clothes and I can show him that there is a better life and perhaps he will come and work for me and he'll bring me some good luck. So the next day he goes to the dairymaid and he tells her of his plan and, well, she thinks that's a brilliant plan. And so together they collect all the bits of old sacking that they can find from the feed and the grain store and, well, she starts to make the little hob a farmhand's tunic and some little trousers to go with it. By the time she is finished, she's very pleased with her work and she shows the farmhand. She says this will suit him perfectly. The farmhand is in agreement. So the next full moon, the farmhand, well, he takes the little clothes and just before sunset, he leaves them in the barn. He is so pleased with his work and, of course, his idea. He goes back outside the barn and he sits and waits, looking through the crack in the wooden barn wall and he waits for the hob to come in. The door opens again and the hob comes in and he starts to pick up the wheat and starts to separate the grain and he starts to dance and he starts to sing. One grain, two grain, three grain, four, five grain, six grain, seven grain more. I'll do the chores while you sleep and dream as long as you leave me the butter and the cream. And then the hob stops. What is this? He says and he looks down at the tiny clothes. The farmhand is so excited. He's looking at the little hob's face and the surprise on his face. And, well, the hob picks up the hessian sack tunic and he looks at it and he starts to go red. He is silent. And it is almost as if the farmhand can see steam of fury coming from the little hob's ears. The hob is no longer dancing. He's no longer singing. Oh, no. But he is hopping. Hopping mad. Who has insulted me by leaving me these clothes? I am as naked as the day I was born and I am happy about it. I love to do my work with no clothes to hinder me. If I was to wear clothes, they wouldn't be the clothes of a farmhand. I'd wear velvet and silk. These are not befitting of a hob. I have never been so insulted in my life. And he flung the clothes down and left. Well, that particular hob was never seen on that farm again. The days went by and... Well, it didn't seem to matter how many times they put the wheat in the barn, it never ever got sorted. The cows didn't get milked anymore and the pigs did not get fresh food. The farmer was confused and so he asked his sons what the problem with the hob was. And his son had to confess that he'd accidentally let it slip to the farmhand who it was who sorted out the grain and then the farmhand, well the farmhand had given the hob clothes. You stupid 
boy, the farmer had said. Everyone knows it's the highest insult to give a hob clothes. So it was that from that day forward, the farmhand had to work harder than ever. And for exactly the same amount of money, for now the farm was not as successful and the farmer couldn't pay him properly. Eventually, though, he did marry his dairymaid and he told this story to his children, who in turn told it to theirs. And that is how I am telling you this story today. So don't forget, never give a hob clothes. Just leave him the best of the butter and the best of the cream and he'll be very, very happy with that. I hope you enjoyed this episode, presenting you with The Hob Problem. You may think that hobs are a phenomenon only found in the history books. However, if you've ever looked at a can of that well-known furniture polish, the one with the little man and the aeroplane on it, or perhaps that fairy that was up until the 1930s on the front of the washing-up liquid bottle with the same name. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not really sure what else those characters are representing, particularly as they're on household cleaning products. I'll let you decide. You can find an extended version of this episode looking at the tiny trowels of Orkney and their connection with Trolls and Hobbs across on my Patreon. You can also find digital zines and audio stories. And you can find my Patreon by going to www.patreon.com forward slash ddstoryteller. I do hope to see you there as I'd love to tell you another story. A big thank you to all my patrons, without whom this podcast would not be possible. There are other ways that you can support the podcast. And these are leaving a review. These help the stories journey out into the world and to reach new audiences and telling your friends and sharing the podcast with them. You may notice that season one's shows are being released weekly, and that's because these shows were originally aired as live stream shows earlier this year, and I've now converted them to audio for the purposes of the podcast. Season two will be launched in the new year, and the episodes will then be released monthly. For more stories woven with folklore in the old ways, you can also find me on Facebook as DD Storyteller, and on Instagram as at dd underscore storyteller. I also have a Facebook group called Stories from Law, and there we share folklore and music and books and chat a little about the podcast. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you again soon for more Stories from Law. Toodle pip! <laughs> <laughs>